And welcome to the Druck Report, the Hometown Headlines Radio Edition, the Hometown Headlines Podcast Network. Too much marketing going on here. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. We are going to be talking about a subject that's very important right now to our community. Uh, that is the coronavirus. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. We are coming to you, as always, from the studios of Brand Red Studios on 4 Bale Street. Once again, Todd Bird's doing a great job producing us, making us sound like we know what's going on. Uh, and what's going on, quite frankly, as we do this recording. Again, this is going to be time-based, so it's Friday morning. Uh, we have had a case in the community that has come back with a initial positive coronavirus test, we should say. Uh, they are doing additional tests. This has been handled by folks outside of what we're talking about this morning. We'll continue to cover that for you as well. But, yes, there is a initial positive test for coronavirus in our community. We'll continue to cover that for you. Our job this morning, though, is go a little bit broader than that to keep you up to date about what is the general trends right now, what's going on, more important, how to keep you, your family, your your family, your loved ones safe. We're going to talk about that today and about some good community practices for all of us. We are going to do that right now with our special guest, someone who's been with us on our radio edition before, back with us today in our first his first podcast with us. We appreciate that. We're being joined this morning by Dr. Charles McBride, who is the Chief Medical Officer of Harvin Clinic. Dr. McBride, good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. Thank you for being here about that. We have a ton of questions for you about things to help the community stay healthy and stay safe. We'll get to those right now. We talked off air about this. Let's talk on air about this as well. Um, the need of people to get reliable information and to handle this properly. We don't need an avalanche of folks running up to urgent care or immediate care or whatever right now if they got a sniffles. Correct. More likely than not, the things that folks are experiencing today are the common cold, influenza, which is still very prevalent. You know, this is that time of year, unfortunately. Uh, we saw an uptick earlier at the end of last year and then the beginning of this year on influenza B and now influenza A. Um, we vaccinate folks against that. You know, the CDC and others have said it's never too late to get that vaccine. Um, so protecting yourself. When it comes to what we need to know about um, coronavirus and testing, that's one of those things that the, the government has initially come up with a test that can detect folks who, who may have been exposed, who may have symptoms. Um, coordination of testing has and continues to be with the Department of Health, Public Health, as well as the CDC. Um, the federal government released the methodology for the test to public and private labs, and those labs are coming online with their ability to test. Today, we're not doing the test in our community. Harbin Clinic is not doing the test. Okay, as public and private labs come on board, we'll gain the ability to do so. But who actually needs to be tested is the question. And what's the benefit to testing? When you think about the folks who are most at risk for complications of the disease, you know, first of all, you have to have exposure. And we've already discussed that we do not have community spread at this time. So folks need to stay calm. When you think about the folks who are at risk, though, when we look at the data coming out of China, which is the largest source of data at this point in time, okay? As more and more cases occur internationally, we'll gain a greater understanding. To your point, this is an evolving situation. But the folks that are at greatest risk are the elderly and folks with chronic medical conditions. When you look at the fatality rate that the World Health Organization sent early, out early in the week, which caused a, a great stir, you know, when they said 3.4%, that was taking all comers developed and undeveloped countries. They said the fatality rate in developed countries with 
a solid healthcare infrastructure is as low as 0.7%. Good. That's markedly different than 3.4. So I think we have to take that into context. The other thing is the people that we are looking at from a statistical standpoint are those that actually had symptoms severe enough to require testing. There are a great number of individuals, in fact, 80% of individuals from the data that we have today that, that actually have the virus have mild symptoms, maybe moderate symptoms. So when you ask what would it present like, it could present like the flu, fever, chills, aches, pains. Well, what's the most likely reason somebody's going to have that in Floyd County today? It's actually the flu, Yep. not SARS-CoV. Well, that's, okay. that's, I'm, I'm that's important that point up because that's, that's one of the analysis we've heard from people, including some of our digital uh, brain trust on Facebook. It's like, ah, this is only the flu. Why is it like the flu? Why is everybody so excited? It's not the flu. It's not the flu. And that's a great point. Okay. And it's important to, I mentioned earlier, respect this illness. Okay. How do we protect ourselves individually, protect our loved ones, protect our community, protect our healthcare professionals? Okay. The fatality rate is greater than the flu, even if you look at healthy individuals versus the the elderly, it is greater than the flu, okay? It can be more severe. It's less prevalent, okay? And we are doing everything we can from a public health perspective to contain any risk of spread. So if you think about um, the data, again, coming out of China, and this is from the Department of Public Health and the CDC, the fatality rate for those over 80 was much greater, 15% in China versus those who were younger, it goes down by every decade. You know, those in the 60 to 69 class, it was around 4%. 70 to 79, it jumped to 8%. For those under age 30, nearly zero. You know, it's interesting. You look at the flu stats for the season. We do, we do a job on that Home Done Headlines. In fact, we'll do it later on today on Home Done Headlines, the weekly report from the Department of Public Health. And I think as of last data we had, we'll say last Friday, we had 66 flu fatalities in the state. Exactly half of those were 65 and older. And very few were 15, and what was the number? I think it was 19 and under. I think there were four total cases. Sounds like the same thing here. And I give the folks in Washington State and, of course, uh, World Health Organization, everybody involved here, they're doing a very good job by saying if each of the victims have had, we're looking at 12, I think 11 as of this morning in Washington State, one in California, but could be more than that, um, each case they've gone through it and said had underlying health concerns. Yes, sir. And that has been or in, in most of those cases. So that backs up what you're saying. These are, it's not just these people who may have contracted this virus. Right. There's other issues going on here. Morbid obesity, um, uh, you know, whatever. It could be breathing, could be heart, whatever it is. But there are other factors involved in this as well where those who are, say, like you said, more on the maybe the younger, healthier side, are surviving this and quite easily mild cases. Well, the cases out of uh, Fulton County, I believe, right. uh, the 15 year old and the father, um, I think both those people have been deemed as uh, moderately healthy, the young man, especially the, the boy, especially. And the dad, by the way, coming back from Italy is, uh, you know, again, Italy has been, China has been part number one, I guess, Italy or South Korea, number two. So when you think about folks that come down with this, 80 plus percent are going to have mild illness. The majority of folks should stay home, should recover at home. They talk about social distancing. Well, how do you do that within a home? You know, if one person within the home has it, doesn't mean every member of the household will get it. 
We've all yeah. experienced respiratory or gastrointestinal illnesses in our family, and a couple of people may get it and a couple of people may not in a household. Sure. So it's not everyone, first of all, but social distancing, if there is a, a bedroom, if someone were sick with influenza or another illness, if they can separate themselves and use a separate bathroom, you know, practice hand washing, you know, disinfection, those sort of things, you know, of surfaces that they're exposed to. Those are the things that the Department of Public Health and the CDC is recommending for protection for those who might be at risk. But the majority of folks, even if they had the disease, are going to recover at home and recover fully. The very small portion of people that are going to get severe disease, typically it, it comes on like the flu. And from what we know today, Week two may be the inflection point that we need to be very cautious about and that progression of symptoms can be seen at week two in, in the folks that, you know, again, the state is coming out of China principally, um, but we're gaining more knowledge every day around this virus. You know, folks that are doing well don't need to go to the hospital. Folks that are doing well don't need to go to the emergency room, don't need to go to the urgent care. In fact, they don't need to expose other people, household members or other members, friends, loved ones, coworkers. Stay home if you're sick. Get well. Then get back in the game. Get back to work. Um, for folks that are hospitalized, interesting, a very positive statistic I think the CDC released this week was that two-thirds of those that were hospitalized have already been sent home now in China and are doing well. Okay? So even for those that are hospitalized, they're recovering. What do we do for folks? There are no FDA-approved drugs to treat this virus presently. There are ongoing studies. So treatment is supportive. The symptoms that folks would watch out for, for those older folks with chronic debilitating illness, underlying illness, and by that I mean cardiovascular disease, mm -hmm. respiratory disease, diabetes, those type things that would otherwise place them at being susceptible of any you know, sure. secondary illness. But in this case, shortness of breath, difficulty breathing. You know, that's a red flag. What do folks need to do if, number one, they traveled, They've been exposed, and then they come down with symptoms, all right? They don't need to show up. What the CDC is encouraging and the Department of Public Health is encouraging is phone triage. Now, the nice thing within Harbin and, and Cerebral, remind me to, to back this up, is that we need to uh, not just use our phone systems, but now we have technology. So folks that have portal access, the patient portal, can send a, a message to their physician regarding questions and things. Um, folks who are acutely ill don't need to rely upon the portal, and it'll tell you that. Just like mm -hmm. if you call and say if you're you know, experiencing a life-threatening emergency, hang up the phone and call 911. Oh, yeah. We all have gotten that message when we've called sure. a, uh, an office or a healthcare facility. But folks need to use phone triage rather than simply present to an office and say, test me. I've already told you we don't have the ability to test. And if we have someone that needs to be tested, we're going to collaborate and coordinate that care with the Department of Public Health and the CDC, get that patient to a definitive place of treatment to protect the patient, their loved ones, the community, the healthcare professionals, and, the, you know, get them to the test that they need, which would be coordinated through the CDC and the Department of Public Health. That's one of the things that's coming up right now. I think, again, looking at the local situations here. Um, so if someone, you know, does, they do, they do these steps. Number one, they do contact the physician. The physician says, let's go on. Either we do a phone triage or other methods here. Okay, we think we want to test you to be sure. Now, get you tested as well. 
kind of just for just for a little bit of elaboration, what would happen next? Again, assuming it's a Floyd County case, a case in our I say Floyd County, a case in our region. Right. So assuming a patient contacts their physician, the physician does appropriate phone triage and determines the patient has traveled to an area that's at risk, community spread or otherwise, and is symptomatic and needs definitive treatment. They're going to pick up the phone. They're going to call the epidemiologist at the CDC and the Department of Public Health. They're going to have a conversation. And at the direction of those professionals, we're going to get that patient to a definitive place of evaluation and treatment and supportive care. Good. So that's how it's taken care of. Then the tests are run. Uh, they're looked at. The results are looked at. There may be subsequent tests to confirm or what they call a double confirm. I love the term that has come out of this. The walking well is what I worry about the most because, like I said, the people who are doing okay may have the sniffles, may have something else. Love this new term, the walking well. These folks, again, make those phone calls to your doctors or use the triage or do use the patient portal, whatever it is. Don't flood ER. Don't flood immediate care. Don't flood urgent care. Take precautionary steps before even leaving the house. Yeah, even folks that have traveled abroad and come back and are asymptomatic, they don't need to be seen. And they certainly don't need to be tested. There's very little to gain from that, from the individual. Folks who are at risk or those who have traveled to an area in which there's community spread and who are symptomatic, those are the folks that may need to call their clinician and get some guidance on next steps. So. Good. Sounds good to me. Again, we are talking to Dr. Charles McBride. He is the Chief Medical Officer of Harbin Clinic. We'll come back and talk more about that after this break. This is the Hometown Headlines Radio Edition, Hometown Headlines Podcast Edition. More after this. I'm Ryan Simmons, Creative Director at Brand Red. We're honored to sponsor today's episode. If you're looking to grow your business, we help companies just like yours reach new customers. Contact us by visiting our website at brandredstudios.com or emailing us at info at brandredstudios.com. And welcome back to the Direct Report Hometown Headlines, Radio Edition, Hometown Headlines, whatever you want to call us. We'll leave the marketing stuff out of here. Let's just talk about the facts. How about that and what's going on? Again, we're coming to you from the studios of Brand Red over at 4 Bale Street, Toddler Bridge. Again, producing, done a fantastic job of that. And great conversation this morning. Dr. Charles McBride, Chief Medical Officer, Harbin Clinic. Yes, we're talking about the coronavirus. We're talking about facts here. We're not trying to get out there and kind of fan these flames. And Charles, off air, we talked about this. We'll talk about this on air right now. This is spread in a way that I think people are more used to than before. Information-wise. Information, I'm sorry, the virus itself, too. The virus itself. So when you think about how coronavirus is being spread, it's being spread by respiratory droplets, as best we know. So when you think about the way people might be exposed, folks in close contact to someone with the disease might be at risk. Secondary contact, it's lesser likely, less likely that that might happen. But if somebody coughed or sneezed on a surface and somebody came behind them, touched that surface and immediately touched their nose, their eyes, their mouth, their face, they could inadvertently self-inoculate or expose themselves to that. So when we talk about how do you defend yourself or protect yourself in a time of respiratory illness, be it influenza or be it any other respiratory illness, Respiratory hygiene and hand hygiene are the two things that we talk about. From a respiratory hygiene standpoint, cover your sneeze and your cough. You know, how many times do we see folks cough sure. without covering their mouth or sneeze and not cover? And we've probably all seen that online picture oh, of yeah. someone sneezing and the little respiratory droplets spreading out all over uh, in front of the person. So covering your cough or your sneeze, disposing of the tissue in the trash can, and then immediately washing your hands. 
hand washing is one of the best preventive measures you can take. Um, We don't do enough of it, Mm -hmm. I don't think. Um, When you wash your hands, they're saying 20 seconds with soap and water is sufficient. If hand washing is not available, using an alcohol gel-based hand sanitizer, uh, 60% alcohol is sufficient. Uh, When you're cleaning surfaces, the CDC has released a list of, of cleaning substances that actually kill viruses such as SARS-CoV, alcohol-based, peroxide-based, and bleach-based products are basically at a high level what's on that list. Uh, There's certain things that aren't, and the active ingredient in most antibacterial soaps is not one of those things. But it's not the antibacterial, it's the soap and water and the washing, the cleansing effect of that, that actually is so effective. Not so much, it doesn't have to be hot water, just washing your hands with soap and water 20 seconds thoroughly is a huge reduction, you know, in your, your risk of exposure there. Good. No, good points about that. You mentioned SARS and MERS, and we've been through so many of these things, you know, swine flu, whatever it is. Um, and a lot of folks are kind of saying, well, gosh, this is kind of similar to that. And actually, you have a different point on that. So when the CDC and others first started talking about this, as we were going through our naming conventions, you heard the word novel coronavirus. Novel simply means new. This is new and different. Do we have experience with other viruses in the coronavirus family? We do. But being this is new, it's also different, and we are learning. I think the situation is evolving as we go along. The more we learn, the more we know, the more we can equip ourselves with the knowledge to combat the disease itself. But it is new. It is different, and so that, that changes things a little bit as we go along and we learn. We need to be have a healthy respect for the virus not live in fear of the virus or any other virus. You know, back to what's common is common. If someone comes in with respiratory symptoms today in an office, it's more likely than not something other than this virus. A lot of questions. And, and the good news is people are aware of this. The bad news is they don't know maybe where to get the information or they're not going to some of these sources. Any sources you could recommend? I mean, I know CDC, DPH, but I mean. Absolutely. In fact, I was I participated in a call yesterday with the CDC I can tell you the information they provided on the call was the exact same information that's available on their website. If you go to the cdc.gov, it's one of the first things to come up because it's a hot button topic. Click on coronavirus. They've got a daily update of those facts and any changes that are occurring as far as our knowledge of the virus, the infection spread, things along those lines. It is very informative. If folks take the time to equip themselves with the knowledge, it's out there. No, good point about that. And I think a lot of us, you know, we hear from our buddies and our friends, even in casual conversations, we we have seen our communities uh, change some of the way we're doing things right now. I'll give you an example of being Catholic. uh, And I've never been someone to go up there and, you know, we have what they call the blood of Christ, the the cup of wine with communion. Um, I've never done that. I mean, I'm not a germaphobe. I'm like, you know, I don't, I get it. I get it all on even the host. Thank you. Uh, But last week suspended throughout the archdiocese. Now we're hearing that uh, another thing in mass in many churches, the sign of peace, the handshake. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden we're seeing now, maybe do the fist pump, maybe do the elbow bump or something like that. Right. What what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's force of habit. Even I catch myself shaking hands. I think we shook hands as we came in. Yeah. Um, I'll use alcohol gel when we're done. But, you know, we we have these habits and they're social norms and we probably do need to be careful, you know, in, in not unlike your place of worship, mine during the cold and flu season no longer holds hands, you yep. know, when we're praying. 
Yeah, Good that's point. something that we out of force of habit often would do. So there's certain things that we can do to reduce the spread, but even more so than some of those things is folks that have symptoms. And I'm not talking about the attack of bronchitis that occurs in the average Baptist church at noon when the preacher hadn't quit preaching. <laughs> All right. That's kind of comical outside of cold and flu season. But folks that are genuinely sick and have symptoms, don't don't show up. Yep. You know, stay home, get well, and don't risk spreading it to others. Even if you don't have those comorbidities that we talked about earlier that put you at risk of getting a complicated case of any illness, respiratory or otherwise, someone you might be exposed to might be. And so there's no reason to actually expose those folks. So if you're sick, stay home, get well, don't expose those folks. How do we convince people to do that? I'm one of these idiots over the years. I mean, it took me until later in my life. I came to work with anything. Because I was usually a manager, and I had to, you know, I had to set the example. Don't I'm gonna come here sick and whatever it was. I could be on my deathbed. I mean, everything from food poisoning to whatever it is, I showed up. And I look back now, thinking, you idiot, you should have stayed home because all thing you did was affected your newsroom or people around you and that type of thing. So how how do we change that mindset? I think what you're talking about is wisdom and experience that comes with age and experience. <laughs> Really? I got the aging part down. <laughs> well, 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 I think you have the experience as well. So the, the, it, it is wise. We learn from those things along the way. Also, are we at our best when we show up and exactly. we're not fully healthy, regardless of what we do, what our life calling or our profession might be? Are we generally at our best if we're not doing well? No. Good Probably point. not. So, you know, it, it's something that we just need to get used to as folks are not well, stay home and get better, then come back in. Well, and we have so many toys today, too. I mean, let's face it. We have the iPhones. We have our – you can work remotely nowadays doing stuff. So, you know, unless somebody really needs to see you, that face-to-face contact, if you think you – know, if you're that, that work-driven, there are other ways to do it. You can do it, you know, telecommuting, whatever it is, and avoid a lot of the stuff, which I think we're going to see a little bit more pop in. I'm, I'm hearing more and more of that going on in the community already. We may. We'll have to – See with time. Some jobs lend themselves better to that, I believe, to your point. Uh, point. Others' jobs, you know, if I need the oil changed in my truck and the tire rotated, I'm not going to be able to do that one on the phone. Yeah, good point. Good point. At least don't try to do that. At least anyway. In our community, in our healthcare environment out there today, I mean, you guys have always been very progressive in this stuff. Any overall advice you have for those in your profession as well? I know you guys, especially, I say you guys, healthcare profession. Uh, every September, I think you guys are the first guys, the first people in healthcare to line up and get that flu shot. Because you guys got to be well to take care of us who maybe lollygag and don't get that shot till we start reading headlines. A lot of healthcare organizations actually mandate it, and Harbin does as well. Unless there's a medical exclusion, a valid reason for not um, receiving that vaccine, we require it, and it's protection for the patients we serve, first and foremost, and for the other medical staff. The last thing we want is to come in with something and spread it to others. Back to that, not coming in sick. Um, we don't want to spread that to other folks. So protection uh, is the greatest thing. Um, we also encourage our patients, if they're eligible, either because of medical reasons and or age, that the pneumonia vaccine is also a great step at preventing unnecessary illness, unnecessary hospitalization, uh, unnecessary downtime. So um, folks, you know, we try to focus on that every fall, to your point. Uh, when folks come in for the flu vaccine, if they're eligible, also, you know, give them the pneumonia vaccine at the same time. And then I'm encouraging our folks to arm themselves with facts. We are disseminating information and directing folks to factual places of information uh, and best next steps as this situation evolves. So uh, regularly disseminating that internally, either using our intranet and Sarah's team, you know, from our communications and marketing team helps us do that inside the organization, 
email, uh, WebEx, just, just spending as much time we can and even meeting face-to-face with folks uh, to ensure that people are empowered with the knowledge they need. Um, they also have a tendency, you know, in the unknown, and there's this uncertainty factor we talked about earlier, creates the potential for anxiety. We have to live with a little bit of uncertainty. Yeah, you know, good point. That, that in life there's a lot that is not a whole, you know, all black and white. There's some shades of gray in there. Uh, so there's some uncertainty in this new novel coronavirus that we're dealing with. We're learning more about it as we go. And folks are equipping themselves with the knowledge to prepare for cases that might occur, but also prevent spread and do the things that we can to stop gap it before it even has a chance to spread. Yeah, good point about that. In fact, we'll get ready to wrap this up. We're going to go back and revisit that one more time here. Number one, um, let's go back. If you think you have symptoms, again, walk us through what we should do. Right. If someone has been to an area that has community spread, either abroad or like the case in Washington State that you're talking about, um, and they have symptoms, they should not present themselves to the emergency room, to the doctor's office, to the urgent care, or to the immediate care without first calling, all right? We need folks to utilize the phone triage. You know, when they speak with the clinician, they will help determine the patient's risk. And if necessary, and deem, you know, because of the presentation, one or more of those findings in place, they will actually reach out to the folks at Department of Public Health and the CDC, coordinate care. And I think that's the big key is coordinated care across the, the places of service to make sure that we get patients who need to be seen you know, and perhaps hospitalized because of the level of acuity. You know, they're more sick, they're debilitated, they're older, they're having more profound symptoms. The average individual, even if they had it, is going to stay home, they're going to recover at home, and they're going to do very well. Good. And if, to keep ourselves from getting to that point where we're thinking about, you know, contacting medical folks, again, the and this is something I made, I made probably light of and I shouldn't have on the way in today, but it's hand washing and more. If we go over those tips one more time, how to keep ourselves healthy. Absolutely. So the two big areas are respiratory hygiene and hand hygiene. Respiratory hygiene, cover your cough and your sneeze. If you cough or sneeze, you know, sneeze into a tissue or cough into a tissue, dispose of that immediately and immediately thereafter, wash your hands. Soap and water is the key. 20 seconds, soap and water, you're good to go. If soap and water are not available, using an alcohol-based gel. To, to sanitize your hands. That'll work. So if you do those things, and then to your point, as far as a community setting, a little bit of social distancing, you know, making sure that if you're sick, you stay home, but then also avoiding unnecessary exposure. So maybe we should use the fist bump or the elbow bump and we greet each other. Good. And I saw someone last night put something up. Of course, you Star Trek fans out there will love this. Doing the old Vulcan thing. Like, you know, let's go ahead and change that. I mean, really, just to kind of... kind of long you know, and prosper. There we go. What's what, what great medical device that is as well. Totally agree about that. Dr. McBride, thank you for your time today. I know this is a situation that... Uh, and you made a great point about this, and that's something that all of us need to realize. It is evolving. And it's not a matter of... If you get a briefing on this from anybody three days ago, the knowledge is going to be changing. So, you know, people need to be not only to continue to take practice good methods but also knowledge as well. Keep looking for new, because everything is getting new in this stuff. It is a brand new thing, uh, and it's going to continue to evolve. Is there any, this is the final question for you, and it's the trick question of the day. It's my Mike Wallace question of the day. Is there any time thing on this? Because I keep getting that question repeatedly. How long are we going to have to do this? Does, does anybody have any idea of the evolution to the point where it's out of our hair? 
Truth is, at this point in time, we do not know definitively. We're going to have to monitor it as we go along and as we learn. Um, certainly, there's a hope as we get out of the cold and flu, typically cold and flu season, we see a reduction in respiratory illnesses. There's a, a real hope that that is the case here, um, but only time will tell. So we, to your point, need to monitor the situation and respond appropriately. No, good point. And you have done that well today. Thank you so much for your time. Again, Dr. McBride, Chief Medical Officer of Harvard Clinic. We appreciate that. Executive Producer Sarah Tuck did a fantastic job as well. Toddler Barge producing this. We appreciate that. Well, continuing coverage of this. There's a lot more happening today. We're doing this Friday morning. We'll be going into a press conference, I believe, after this at another location. Continuing coverage all day today, all weekend on Hometown Headlines. Please text us, fax us. Email us your questions. We will turn it around right away. We'll keep you up to date. As we get the information, I promise you, we'll turn it around as quickly as we receive it and confirm it with our medical community and those involved in this. Thank you for your time today, Todd. As always, thanks for your efforts out there. This is John Rickermiller saying have a safe weekend in Northwest Georgia.